Hey, hey, it's Tad from the Tad and Direct Show, weekday mornings on B98.5 in Atlanta, a radio show that's on weekday mornings from 5 till 9 a.m. We're on the TuneIn app. We're on the iHeartRadio app. It's everywhere. Oh, B98.5 has its own app. It's episode four of the Is It Me podcast, where I podcast actual sessions and conversations with my personal therapist and life coach, Chantel Cohen. This week, we kind of talk about the difference between a habit and an addiction. And this all stems from a conversation that we had on the radio show with comedian and TV personality Chelsea Handler. Chelsea has a book and a tour out right now called Life Will Be the Death of Me, where she kind of opens up about some of the changes that she's made in her life thanks to therapy and meditation and stuff. After we talked to Chelsea... I had so many questions for Chantel, like specifically about how people use alcohol. When we drink, are we just having fun or are we self-medicating to kind of escape from our problems? Is it an addiction or a habit? And how do we know which one we have and when we might be slipping from one to the other? So the first thing you're going to hear on today's episode is our conversation with Chelsea Handler. And then we bring in Chantel to kind of explore some of the things that Chelsea talks about a little bit further. What else do I have to tell? Oh, make sure you subscribe. And I just want to let you know who's on this. Is uh, This first part is from the Tad and Drex Morning Show with Tad, Drex, and Kara, uh, where we're talking to Chelsea Handler. Hi there. Hi, how are you? I'm great. How are you guys? Just great. You uh, apparently are doing better. You're in therapy. You're doing the meditation. <laughs> I'm fixed. <laughs> no, we're never fixed. I mean, I just had to calm down and sit still for like the first time in my life. So I never, I just kept going and going like an engine, you know, for so many years that I just thought that was the way to do it. I just thought like, you don't have time to sit. I don't have time to meditate. God forbid. You know, that's for people who go to silent retreats and want to eat kale and avocados all day long. Like right. I just thought all of that was lumped together in the same kind of pile of nonsense. And that if you ha- were successful and you have all these good things happening, you have no right to be upset. So it was a big wake-up call about, like, oh, yeah, you do have a right to be upset. You had major trauma in your childhood that you've just been ignoring and thinking it's going to go away. And the irony is that the, the wound only gets bigger and deeper as you get older without looking at it. So it was just a big wake-up call for me. I was like, oh, my God, if I'm this stuck, how many other people are, are not seeing themselves? As clearly. So I wanted to share it, and I didn't want to write a book or do a stand-up tour until I had something new to say. And so, uh, you know, when I started writing the book, I was like, okay, this is something worth sharing. This is something that's going to help people, hopefully. You know, you think you're helping yourself in the beginning, and then you realize, oh, this is any person telling their story is helping somebody else. So that's how it happened. And then I did my tour, which was like a sit-down comedy tour where everyone interviews me in different cities. And once I was almost done with this weekend as the last weekend of that, I was like, you know what? This is a stand-up show now. This is like a one-woman show. So I'm going to do that, and I'm adding lots and lots of dates, and I'm doing a stand-up tour, and then I'll film a special in the fall. You had mentioned something about uh, you know doing the right things, getting healthy now, and avoiding doing the bad things. Can you talk about like, what were some of those bad things that you were doing? Well, I just don't take, like now I meditate. I go out to dinners without even having one drink rather than having like, you know, three. In your 40s when you're drinking, like you can't get, you can't hide it the way you could when you were younger. You know, that was a sentence I thought would never come out of my mouth because I thought I knew how to get around to alcohol for the rest of my life. And, you know, I'm never going to quit drinking. It's not like a book where I quit drinking at the end. No, I'm not going to do that. 
But it's nice to be able to, like, you know, not be hungover ever or, you know, have a drink here and there and not be, like, such a boozer. It just feels much more clear. So those types of things. I exercise all the time. I take good care of myself. I read more. I'm not on my phone 24 hours a day. All of the stuff that makes you healthy, I think. I didn't want to, you know, when I went into my therapist, it was about slowing down, and I was so ADD'd out. You know, when you pick up your phone and you're scrolling through Instagram without even knowing what you're looking at or why, just because you have time to kill. It's like, mm. I don't want to kill my time like that. So do you attribute that to the therapy or the meditation? I was telling my therapist, I said, you know, when I go out to dinner now, I go, now I'm taking an edible and having drinks. I'm like, I think I should be doing one or the other, no? <laughs> and he said, you have, a, you know, he goes, you have been drinking for so long. He goes, you have a drinking habit. So he goes, go out this week. I had like four dinners that week. He goes, go out and just don't order a drink just so you can understand what that it's, it's that easy. He's like, you can have a drink, but just try not to. And I just did it for a week. And after that, I was like, oh, my God, it is a habit. I would have this habit of sitting down and being like, vodka on the rocks, you know, splash of soda. And then another one before that one was even gone. And it's like this nervous tick. And once I stopped doing that, it's like I went to dinner last night and didn't have a drink, you know, and sat with my friend for two hours. I have a dinner tonight where I won't drink. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. You were early, which is crazy. That's wild. Yeah. I mean, that is I'm a true early. pro. My parents never picked me up from Hebrew school, so I'm always early. <laughs> <laughs> So many questions about some of the things that Chelsea said. So want to bring in my therapist and life coach, Chantel Cohen. We left this interview and we're on our way back to the office and Drex and I looked at each other and we were like, okay, she said that she doesn't drink as much, but has replaced it kind of with edibles. She does. She puts more emphasis on the edibles. And we both agreed that that is still using drugs and or alcohol as a way of self-medicating. What goes on there? Because I know a lot of people drink wine, the rosé all day. Why do we drink at all for that matter? Well, man has always had an affinity. And I mean, man and womankind has always had an affinity for altering one's state or consciousness. And so that's been uh, probably since people were living in caves were digging up some roots and smoking them or doing something to alter peyote, etc. People have been doing these things for eons. And so, and I'm not advocating that uh, we, we self-medicate so much as I'm saying it's, it's been a part of who we are as a species for a very, very long time. And so sometimes um, self-medicating might actually help somebody deal with something that's really tough. And again, I'm not saying that alcohol as a way of escaping one's pain is an idea that's good, but we know that for a lot of people it works until it doesn't, until suddenly they're putting that orange juice in their, I mean, the vodka in their orange Don't juice. Don't put orange juice in your vodka. <laughs> Go the other way. The other way, please. I remember when I first started drinking, I was 16 years old. And it was just because it wasn't allowed and it felt good. And uh, I was forbidden. It was forbidden. And I've actually talked to a friend of mine, Eric Von Hessler, uh, about this. And he was saying, like, you started drinking when you were 16 years old and you still get drunk on the weekends. So he said, I don't think it's necessarily a case of alcoholism as much as it is arrested development where you're just 
doing what you've always done. It's become a habit. And Chelsea actually talked about that. She did. And the fact that she was able to just give that up. Well, you have to begin somewhere. And if you want to break a habit, you have to start obviously at the place the source is it's entertainment she likes to have drinks when she's with friends so probably what what I think probably happened and I can only guess here but if she's strategizing with her therapist one of the things that they'd want to talk about is okay what are you going to do when the waitress comes around and everybody's saying hey I'll take a champagne I'll take a bloody mary etc etc what what are you going to order because it's not just enough to think about what you're not going to do, but to also have a plan for what you are going to do. And that is, I'm going to order a, I don't know, an orange juice or a grapefruit juice, or I'm going to These order- are, you're just naming good mixers right at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're at brunch, a really good fresh squeezed orange juice is, is nice. It feels really good to have something really nourishing in the body. So, so it's kind of like a smoker, right? Smokers usually associate like they have that cigarette with the coffee. They have their cigarette with the drink. Absolutely. And then that's that habit. And it's the real way to get beyond that is to just don't do it. Just stop doing it. And it really will eventually you'll just how many is it 21 times it is, 21, it's 21 dinners days, without a drink? It's it's disrupt the pattern, right? Get into a habit of of doing something different ordering something else that's a Pellegrino with lime or a Perrier of some sort, but get into the habit of doing something different. That is your first line of defense. Otherwise, how else is she going to tackle it, right? Not go out to dinner. She could take that strategy, but that is a pretty miserable life, right? That's like doing the Atkins diet. Like I do not like the Atkins diet. The reason I don't like it is because you are withdrawing bread from your diet for a certain period of time. And you just know eventually you're going to have bread again. Eventually you're going to go out to dinner. So it's like putting a patch on to quit smoking. It's like anything else. It's a temporary fix. If you have the patch on, you're still getting nicotine. And I've known people who've gone a year with the patch on and they're like, I kicked the habit. The second that patch comes out, guess what? They're reaching for the smokes again. It's also the fact that remember that addiction is a biosocial, psychological sort of model around addiction. So it's not just, you know, once someone has gone to rehab, they no longer have the physical manifestations. What gets them every time is a psychological or the social. And so for Chelsea, it's really that social drinking that was getting her. And so really sort of not avoiding social situations, but coming up with strategies that when you are there, what do I do? So you know what, I'm on a diet and I'm doing this particular diet for a time. And I know that at least for two weeks, I can't have bread. Probably not a good idea to go to a pasta restaurant. That's you know, what I it? would do. Yeah. I would go right as soon as it was over. I would declare <laughs> it over. I did the whole 30 diet. I didn't get the whole, you're supposed to wean yourself back onto this stuff. So you deny in the whole 30, you deny yourself like, I don't know, bread, drinks, all the good things in life, right? So this ends 10 o'clock the night that it ends. At, at the very first <laughs> second that I could, I literally called Papa John's, ordered pizza, fixed myself a drink. Like, I did not do it right. And, of course, a month later, all of the weight had gone back on. Right. So it wasn't, it wasn't a, a habit. It was really just about you s- sort of surviving it. And so Chelsea was really looking at ways and that strategies that were not just 
that she employed when she was at the restaurant and kind of watching everybody um, order drinks. But she also said meditation, she's reading more, she's exercising, and she was also having those edibles. There is another thing I wanted to talk about because I've known people that have done this. We've talked about quitting smoking, quitting drinking, quitting doing all this stuff. I've noticed when people quit smoking a lot of times, they gain a lot of weight. And, and in some cases, extreme amounts of weight. Or Chelsea is not drinking as much. Maybe she's upping the edible intake. There's always seems to be doing something in excess. And I'm one of those people that is always doing something in excess. And sometimes that something in excess, when I'm at my best, might be reading and running. Usually it's not. <laughs> But can you talk about that? Because there, I, a lot of times people will just transfer one quote unquote addiction to another. Well, I think that sometimes people have their coping strategies, right? And so the coping strategy now has been altering one's mind. And so sometimes you'll have people who will go to smoking instead of doing coke or something, right? And you're thinking, well, smoking, it doesn't alter one's mind. No, it does. Smoking has a calming effect. It's just like um, with satiety in terms of food. You get, you are, are satisfied and there's this feeling that happens when you taste a great piece of bread with butter. Mm. And it's like you have all of those feelings, right? And also there are other senses that get involved with that. And so one gets a feeling of calm. You feel um, as, as though everything's right with the world. I had a, um, I went to South City Kitchen the other day and uh, I'm not supposed to be eating bread. And they- Are you brought, on the Atkins diet? No. Okay, go not. on. But they, they brought over this basket of buttermilk biscuits. And I will tell you, when I say it was damn good, it was just- Amazing. I even asked, could I take some home? <laughs> yes. This is a problem. Yeah. I, yeah. It was, it was a big problem. And there were a couple times during that same day that I broke out one of those biscuits and it was just to have that feeling of, wow, this really tastes good. And it took me back to my grandmother who used to make her homemade biscuits. And I asked my kids, I'm like, taste this biscuit isn't this amazing they're like yeah and you were glad when they said that because you're like thank god now there's more biscuits for me <laughs> i mean this is a problem it it is what it did was it transported me back it's like a a scene out of ratatouille back to my childhood it felt euphoric i felt good i felt safe there were all these feelings from that biscuit it was not just an ordinary biscuit it's a slippery slope chantelle <laughs> So think about it, that that we use food, we use cigarettes, we use alcohol as coping strategies, and sometimes it's to not feel, but other times it is to feel. Can I ask you one question? Yes. I spend a lot of time worrying about, so if I had too many drinks one night, I'd wake up the next day worrying about, oh, I'm killing my liver, obsessed with what I've done too much of or constantly analyzing myself. I know it's called a neurosis. Yes, it is. <laughs> right? And you're not even from New York. Has anybody ever measured the negative health effects of worrying about this it's stuff? It's called stress. And stress that's the biggest killer the... out there, isn't it? Yeah, so stress taxes the body just as if, I just read something that was really interesting 
that elite athletes are more likely to develop ALS, like people who are doing like ultra marathons where they're running like a hundred miles or if they're doing something that's really taxing to their body. And so it's really interesting. It becomes a point where there's a negative effect around exercising. And so some worry is good, right? Keeps us, you know what, saber tooth tigers coming. Well, that's not worry, but that's fight or flight. <laughs> but it, the worrying about, hey, am I going to, I'm on the savannah, am I going to run into this tiger has us take precautions. It's a good thing. But then when it tips over into uh, neuroses. Mm-hmm. You're in your <laughs> home in a major city and you're yeah. still worried about the tiger. <laughs> yes. Right. And, and then it becomes really maladaptive if everything's telling you to be worried about this and you ignore it. So when does it tip over also in some self-destructive behavior so you know worrying is taxing not only on the heart and brain and so forth but it can also be so overwhelming that people start to use even more of those drugs and alcohol so they don't have to worry about worrying about doing the vicious cycle begins yes it's called the tad show i'm kidding (laughs) listen let me tie a bow on this is there and a you can bow that you agree, can tie yes, on it? You can either agree or disagree with this, but I'm going to try to wrap this up in saying try to live your life as healthy as possible. Seek self-help, whether that's through reading, exercise. Try to improve yourself, but don't worry about it at the same time. Don't stress about it. Is that a good bow? I think it is a good bow. Oh, good. All right. That concludes episode four of the Is It Me podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And if you have a question or a topic or an idea or just some feedback or you just want to chat, you just need a friend, it's tad at b985.com. We'll talk to you next time.